having a lot of discipline around communication and follow-up is critical to building a successful business. And that's something that I took from the corporate world and have put into this business. How great would it be to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial buildings? Well, now you can with Building Bits. It's not a REIT or a fund. Building Bits is a new platform for non-accredited investors where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building lease to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. You can now invest in the same quality assets, which have previously only been available to institutions and wealthy individuals. Once you choose your building on buildingbits.com, you can invest as little as $500 and receive your share of the rents while BuildingBits' team of real estate pros handles all the management aspects of the building. For the first time, the big corporations in America can actually start paying you. And when the building is sold in the future, the potential appreciation is redistributed to everyone so you don't just get the rental income, but also share in the upside. Best of all, since these securities are SEC qualified, they are freely tradable immediately. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of their current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-I, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Hello, best ever listeners. How you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Whitney Sewell. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast where we only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. This is Follow Along Friday. Theo and Joe are out today, but I'm honored to be with you. And also with us is Ryan Cox. Thanks for being on the show, Ryan. Yeah, excited to be here. Hello, best ever listeners. Yeah, Ryan and I were asked to talk about some challenges that we faced getting started in the real estate syndication business. And we just want to go through some of those challenges because we know you are facing them or going to as well and how we have worked through those. And a little about me, I'm also the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show and have invested in numerous deals now and raised capital for numerous deals and doing our own deals as well under LifeBridge Capital. And Ryan, give the listeners a little bit about you and let's get right into some challenges we faced. Yeah, sounds great. So Ryan Cox, Founders Grove Capital, previous to investing in multifamily and working in syndication. I was in enterprise software sales for about 10 years, selling software and hardware to the mid-market companies between about 1,000 and 5,000 employees. So I've been at the multifamily syndication business for a little over three years and leaps and bounds from where I've started, but a long way to go. Awesome. So Ryan, why don't we just get right into a challenge that you wish that you had known when you started that you know now, and I'll do the same. Yeah, I think two things really stand out as I think about what I would do, I guess, differently or that I wish that I had known in the beginning. Number one, I have a podcast as well called The Real Estate Innovators, where I interview founders of technology companies that are focused in innovating in commercial real estate. So I have an opportunity to talk to a lot of founders, venture capitalists, those types of folks that are really making a lot of interesting evolving business models or technology that'll impact commercial real estate. And I think that I had some hesitancy about jumping on the microphone and interviewing people and just a little bit of nerves about that. And I just wish that I had started that much, much sooner. It has been an awesome way for me to build relationships, but it's also been a tremendous way for me to learn from a bunch of really smart people and help me think about 
not only how I'm operating my business today, but what the business is going to look like in the future. So I would have dismissed any of those fears and thoughts about creating that platform because it's really been so beneficial for my education and I think has been a really good platform for founders to be able to tell their story about their business. And it's been great for discovery for anybody who's in commercial real estate and wondering about how technology is going to change it. So that's been awesome. I think the other thing that I knew going in, but was a challenge for me was really getting outside of my circle of friends and family in terms of raising capital and creating a system to be able to do that consistently. So my two things are start some sort of thought leadership or group today. You don't have to be an expert to do it. If you take a leadership role and start that, it'll prove beneficial in helping you build relationships. And then number two, on getting outside of just your immediate circle is coming up with daily, weekly, monthly activities that you can measure yourself against that'll help you build an investor network and relationships, as well as daily, weekly, monthly goals in terms of underwriting deals, looking for deals. I like that a lot and I can relate a lot. One of the things I was also going to talk about is wishing I had started a thought leadership platform earlier. I'm doing the daily show, the real estate syndication show. And obviously that was influenced by Joe as well. And just the success that he's had. And you talked about just, you had some hesitancy. You wish you had started sooner. What actually was it that really pushed you to, to get started when you had all those thoughts about, should I start now? When should I start? What really made it click for you? I think like a lot of folks, I was still in enterprise software sales when I started investing in real estate. So I was straddling two different worlds, which gave me some hesitancy about starting something. In hindsight, starting a podcast, having a group meetup or doing anything in that respect would not have been in conflict with my day job, but it would have been a really fast jump start into weekly kind of daily motion in terms of building a community and building relationships and starting to get myself out there like, hey, this is the job that I'm working towards. So the thing that really just got me going was more or less hold your nose and jump into the deep end and start figuring out how to swim. And that's what I did. The first podcast I listened to, I hated my voice. I hated the questions. But the feedback that I got from people who listened said, wow, it's well-produced. Those were good questions. So I just kind of blindly kept going down the hallway a little bit further towards the light, so to speak. So there was some trial by error. And just at the end of the day, try not to pay attention to my voice or what others thought, but just trying to produce good content and be really, really curious. I think curiosity was a big driver that helped me kind of push through any fears that I had. That's awesome. And I can relate to everything you're talking about. And I bet I get three calls a week, people asking about how to do a podcast or how I've done it or things like that. And I was very hesitant as well to pull the trigger, to launch the show and to really commit because I was worried about the sound. I was worried about all these things, all these details, right? You know, about the show and am I doing it the best that I can? So I was very hesitant and I was talking to a mentor, Joe Fairless, I'll say, and he helped remind me that done is better than perfect right? Done is better than perfect. So that helped me to really change my mindset. And I also hated the way that I sounded, but I hired somebody to edit my audio just so I didn't have to listen to it because I understood that if I listen to them, I'm probably not ever going to launch. I'm just not going to like the way that I sound. I'm going to hear the ums and alls and all those things. And I'm not going to think it's as good as it should be. But 
I had to tell myself, I had to remember that the only way I'm going to get better at this is just doing it. So I'm going to have to get through that initial 20, 30 shows, whatever, before I really fall into using a mic, before I really fall into being recorded. And I still mess up all the time, but I'm getting better, right? You know, and I understand that it's going to take many more shows. I'm getting better all the time. But if I hadn't launched, guess what? I'd still be in fear of those first 20 shows. Yeah, no doubt. I think that the podcast is a good metaphor for any entrepreneur's journey. Those first 20 or so times that you do it, it feels awkward. It feels uncomfortable, but committing to doing it. So I publish every Thursday. So I've got a weekly show and just the clock is kind of ticking that every Thursday here are the six or seven things that I need to do to make sure that I get a good show out the door. And I guess I talked about earlier, just the daily, weekly, kind of monthly, what are you measuring to make sure that you're moving forward in your business? I think that thought leadership, whether it's a monthly event that you're hosting or a podcast, whatever that looks like, getting committed and putting yourself out there is an excellent metaphor for the same type of discipline and work that you need to do to go out and put together a real estate deal. Ron, what were some systems that you developed to help you make this happen? Initially, you're hesitant and you hated the way you sounded, but you kept moving forward. You pushed through that. But obviously, this added a lot more work to your day or your week trying to make this happen. So what were some systems that you did to make it happen and then also to measure the success or the growth? Well, from a podcast perspective, I outsourced as much as possible. So I batch that work. So I record on Monday afternoon for an hour and Friday afternoon for an hour. I outsource all of the editing to Fiverr. So I've got a guy that I work with on Fiverr. We've got another guy on Fiverr who does all podcast transcription or transcribing. So I try to outsource as much of that work as possible. While I know that thought leadership is important and actually being on a production schedule is really important to me. The thing I wanted to be really conscious of is that this is not a six or seven hour a week job, that this is a two to three hour a week job. So it's two hours a week in between my eight to five, and then I work on it at night. So typically on an average week, it's about three hours worth of work. Nice. Nice. And how often are you publishing your show? Every Thursday. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. yeah and how about you? Obviously it's daily. So it did. It just in- increased my workload tremendously to get that many shows done a month. But just like you, I outsource everything that I can. And I would stress to the best ever listeners, if you haven't looked into hiring a virtual assistant, I'm not sure what you're waiting on. So I use Upwork. I've used Fiverr for different things, but I use Upwork a lot. And I've learned some skills to be able to find people on there that work really well for me and for the tasks that I need. But initially, I found somebody that their specialty was audio editing, or I find somebody that's just good at show notes, somebody's just good at video. And then those have changed a little bit. My entire team has changed recently, but we're improving all the time. But initially, it was such a big undertaking to get all that done that I had to outsource it. There just wasn't any way around it. And I feel like now, if I hadn't have outsourced, if I was trying to do it all myself, I may have never got started or I may have never launched because of the workload was so large. But it caused me to grow, right? It caused me to get out of my comfort zone and just to make it happen. And I wanted to go back. If you're watching this, you see behind me is a green screen. And just like today, we couldn't get the green screen working just the way we're recording today, but we're just going to go on with it and we're going to make this happen. And that really hindered me in the beginning because I would have been really worried about that. I would have been really worried about that and thought, oh, no, 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 we can't do it. We can't publish this. It's not as best that it can be, but I understand that done is better than perfect. And what about you, Ryan? 
Well, I'll just keep moving forward. I think as we talk about outsourcing and having a team help you to do the podcast, I think that, again, as it serves as a metaphor for just the business and entrepreneurship in general, one of the quotes that I heard in the beginning that I have really made a part of my daily life has been when something comes up that says, how do I do this? I potentially would get stuck and would put something off or just never get around to doing it. When I switched that question around to who can help me do this, I found that one of my talents is building teams. I love collaborating with people. The more that there's kind of a group that's participating in something, the more energy that I get. So I switched a lot of times if I was stuck and doing things that were brand new was, how do I do this? I don't know. But when I started thinking about who can help me do this and building a team around what I was trying to accomplish, I tended to have a lot more fun and got things done a lot faster because I was put into action and I'm very much a learn by doing individual. And I got the opportunity to see and watch and learn by others doing. So I think that that's been a valuable tool for me is to take that question, how do I do this, flip it on its head and ask who can help me do this. I really like that a lot. And I find now, as I think of stuff where I used to get my pen and paper out and I'd try to make lists so I didn't forget things. But now I just send an email to my assistant and say, I need this done. Or can you please do this? And now it'll be done instead of me having to go back and look at that list, hoping I get it done. And now it's taken care of. Yeah, I think it's so important to build support around you, whether that's outsource support to help you with some of the detail work or mundane work. I think it's important to build a real estate team around you, whether that's others that have led and sponsored and been on the general partnership side of a deal or have experience with property management, finding deals, doing the asset management, any types of those roles, the more people that you can put in your world to help you learn by watching them from their experience, I think the more value and the faster that you'll grow in the business. Yeah, Ryan, are there any other team members that you've found that you're working with to help grow the real estate side, you know, outside of thought leadership? Well, outside of thought leadership, I tend to partner on the real estate side. I think that anywhere from two to three partners is very simply the job of putting together a real estate deal is one, finding the deal, two, operating the deal, and three is bringing equity and debt to the deal. So, Tends to be a three-person job, can be a two-person job, and that configuration as we've done deals here locally and in Dallas-Fort Worth tends to be a configuration of two or three individuals that are acting as a team to get a big job done. Nice. And any other ways that you found productive or, or useful to measure, like we talked about your growth or maybe your team or anything like that? How do I measure growth? Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's this book that I keep coming back to and... It's called Measure What Matters by John Doerr. Have you ever heard of that book? I haven't. John Doerr is a famous venture capitalist, Silicon Valley, but OKRs have been made famous by the Googles of the world and those types of guys. So it's objectives and key results. And you can set those on a monthly basis or a quarterly basis. But again, it comes back to, hey, what are you doing on a daily basis to help you move forward in the work that you're doing, whether that's thought leadership, whether that's finding a deal, whether that's building your investor network. What I found, especially in the beginning, is a lot of ups and downs emotionally in terms of trying to build a business and get it started. But if you have written down what a good day looks like, what a good week looks like, what a good month looks like, 
help you get to your key results, you could always look back and say, hey, no matter how I'm feeling, I did these five things, which I know that if I show up and do them consistently, I'm going to continue to build my business and do it in a very smart way. And I know that if I look at the sheet and say, man, I didn't do any of those things and my calendar was running me and I wasn't in control of my calendar, I know that I'm off track. So having that written down has really helped me measure my progress and knowing that it very much is a process and that there is no recipe for overnight success. I like that a lot. Could you give us a couple examples of maybe things that you're going to make sure are written down, making sure that you're doing every week or on a monthly basis and how you've done that? Yeah, my goal is to have anywhere from 15 to 20 new investor calls a month. So then I've got a subset of activities that helps me bring new investors, start those new relationships, start building relationships with investors. I tend to find that probably anywhere from about 90 days to potentially a year or two years that I start building a relationship and we find that we're a fit for each other before we bring on a new investor into the group. So it starts with how am I making and how am I reaching and building relationships with new investors? And then once I do establish that new relationship, how do we work through whether that's education about myself and about Founders Grove and what we're trying to accomplish or identifying that the investor needs education on alternative investments, passive investments, finding out if multifamily is even the right asset class in real estate for them. So those are the things that I really focus on is starting at the top, trying to build relationships with new investors. And then over the course of anywhere from three months to 12 months, really have a plan that I can add value to their thought process as they're thinking about an alternative and, and passive investment. Nice. I like that. And I like you set that number. And I wanted to ask you, is that 15 new contacts a month or is that just following up possibly with other contacts or, or potential investors that you've already met? Yeah, my math is it takes me maybe 15 to 20 just new conversations to find two or three. So maybe 10% of those conversations, I find that, I, that we're a fit for each other. Hey, that there's, we can add mutual value to what we're trying to accomplish. I have an investment opportunity and a thesis that makes sense to the investor and the investor kind of checks accredited investor, some of those types of things. And we're mutually aligned on what we're both trying to accomplish. So I would say for every 20 investors that I talk with, one to two are a fit. And then from that one to two that are a fit, I know that I'm in an education period over the course of 90 days to 12 months that gives me an opportunity to build a relationship and add value to that conversation. Sometimes it may be a lot of relationship building and we find out we're not a fit for each other or multifamily is not the right investment for them. So I just kind of think of that as sales karma. Well, maybe they're a better fit for somebody who's local to them or they already have a relationship or they want to invest in self-storage or small retail. And it's just, hey, I don't want to invest in multifamily in Austin or Dallas. How are you finding them in the first place? What have you found to be the best way to connect with these potential investors? I focus primarily on LinkedIn. So as my background was enterprise software sales and hardware, I had a very extensive kind of connections through a lot of big 
technology companies, so the Microsoft, Cisco's of the world. And I started just going back through and sending notes to contacts, primarily in technology, some in healthcare. And I just look to connect for 15 minutes, tell them a little bit about what I'm doing. If they are able to get on a call, then we find out that goes back to my need 20 calls to find one or two that are a fit. So I set up a 15-minute call, learn a little bit about them, try to understand what they're hoping to get out of the call. And typically, they want to learn a little bit more about me and what I'm doing. And from there, then we say, hey, this does make sense. Let's set up a, a little bit of a longer call to talk about business strategy, what we're trying to accomplish, and how we can work together. So LinkedIn is my primary resource to setting up new investor relationships, but that is a lot of empty responses, no responses, or no thank yous. So when typical kind of sales, you're getting way more no's than you are yeses, but that's been proven to be the best channel for me to get outside of my immediate circle to develop new relationships, which I know are the lifeblood of continuing to grow the business. Awesome. And tell me about how that conversation has changed maybe from when you first started raising capital to how it is now. I do a lot of the same things. And believe it or not, a lot of my investors I've found at real estate conferences. And I'll put that out because a lot of people go to these things assuming that there's no passive investors there. And I say you're wrong because I've met numerous, uh, many, many events. They're there to meet investors and, or syndicators. And uh, But anyway, so how has that conversation changed or what do you wish you had known about how to control or how to talk through that conversation back then that you know now? I always want to give that conversation an out. So I tell everybody, hey, this might not be a fit for you. And if it's not a fit for you, and this is something that you're not interested in, please just tell me so. I don't want to fill up your inbox with unwanted emails, newsletters, any deals that I'm working on, any kind of educational material, if it's not a fit. And if this is not a fit and this is not something that you're interested in, it's okay to tell me so. And I think giving those potential cold calls, new prospects, investors, just a really easy way out and for them to say, no, this is not a fit for me, saves both of us a lot of time. Because ultimately, I'm trying to get to those one or two that are really excited to either learn more or know that they want to invest in a multifamily deal. And that's who I'm really trying to connect with. So just saving both of us time and just having the confidence to let whoever I'm talking with on the other end go, you know what, Ryan, I appreciate you sharing about what you're doing. It sounds like you're doing really cool things, but this is not for me. And that is okay. That's just showing respect for them. And while they may say right now, I'm not interested, but things change. And I find that investors one time right now, it may not be a fit. They may not like multifamily for whatever reason, something they've read, who knows where. But then six months from now, their situation's changed or something else has changed their interest about multifamily. And then all of a sudden they hear your podcast again or, you know, they, oh, you know what? I remember him. He's very respectful. He wasn't pushy. And I liked that about him. And they're going to come back. Would you agree, Ryan? I totally agree. I think that my mindset is try to do what's in the best interest of all parties. So I've had a number of opportunities where there's just things that I don't do, but I have relationships that could help that investor potentially get what they're looking for. So I just try to pass those opportunities off to other investors that I know that are doing different types of projects that could get those two people together and could add value in some way. And that might not potentially be to the bottom line or to add value to the group of investors that I work with or to a specific deal. But if I can put others before myself and 
add more value than I take, I think that I'm doing a good job every day. You had also mentioned about educating the investors. So you've had that call and now you want to educate them. You want them to understand what they're investing in, right? Could you just tell us a little bit about how you've done that and how you found, or maybe even how that's changed? It's harder to educate initially, right? Because you're still learning the business, but now that you're much more experienced, how do you educate them now so they understand what they're investing in? One of the things I did when I was in software sales and when I made the move to real estate, in both roles, I had a sales journal. So I listened to what objections people had, what were the questions, and I just continued to write that down so that I was either A, better prepared to overcome an objection, or B, that I was better prepared to answer a question. So I just started kind of building my own database, whether it was very deal-specific questions that I needed to be able to answer, or whether it was just generally about the business. And that education phase is kind of taking people through, I think number one is, hey, here's what the process looks like. Here's what you could expect when we do work through a deal together. Here's how I'm going to introduce the deal. Here's what an investment summary looks like. Here's our business strategy, all the way up to funding and a PPM, private placement memorandum. So there's a little bit of education of, hey, here's what the process looks like, understanding the timelines in those process and helping prepare them for, here's how you would need to act and how you'd be able to move through that process to do a deal, get an understanding of what their timeline looks like and how that would potentially fit. Once we understand the process, then start kind of peeling back the layers on helping them understand the investment and what they're trying to accomplish with the investment. And then the conversation from there takes shape on how does this work? How does that work? So I just kind of view that as a continuous conversation and let that unfold. I've developed some kind of FAQs and some stuff like that, that I can, hey, here's high level stuff that can help push them along, but always encourage, hey, give me all the questions that you have. You can reach me, text me, call me, send me an email. And I just try to respond with, with timely answers to their questions. I think I'm getting better at the process to try to manage that. But I guess I would ask you the same question. How are you educating potential investors and current investors? And I would say that entire thing has been a a growing experience for me. From meeting the investor to, I would say your follow-up is key. Your follow-up, your speediness, getting back to them. And initially, it was difficult for me to track those things. Find a CRM. There's so many to choose from. I did a lot of research trying to figure out which one I wanted to use. But at least use one so you can track when you're following up the people and making sure that you're following up, that you're staying top of mind. I'm answering questions quickly or after I meet them, I'm following up. I'm sending them information about the company, about who we are, about why we do what we do. Then I'm also wanting to book a call with them. If they don't book a call, guess what? I'm going to call them. They've shown interest. They've either signed up on the website or I've reached out to them and they've shown interest in talking with me. But then from there, they're going to get emails from just about the business and about what we do, different parts of the business and why maybe some YouTube videos or Obviously, the podcast shows if there's an investor who has a question about 
taxes or a specific thing or something in the syndication business. But I've had a show where I've interviewed somebody on that topic where I may send it to them and say, hey, I thought mm-hmm. this would be of interest to you. This is what you were asking me about, what we discussed. And this goes in a little more in depth just to show them that they're not just another number. I actually cared about our conversation. I documented what was important to them and I'll try to provide value to them through that or get them some more information if I see there's some way. And I'll ask what was their goals in investing? What are they looking for? And really listen to what they tell you. Listen to what's important to them. So I try to focus on that and I try to provide value depending on where things in the business that they don't understand or questions that they have. So yeah, follow up. At least if you don't have that information yet, it's important to follow up. Stay in touch. Yeah, I think that also a little about three and a half years in the thing that I would encourage everybody to have confidence to say is, I don't know, but I'll find out and deliver a timely response. I think the last thing you want to do is get yourself in a trap of maybe getting out over your skis and talking a little bit too much about a topic that you might not have all of the details about or can't speak to with authority. A critical phrase, I think, for everybody is, I don't know, but I'll find out. And when you do find out, send a timely response. I think that in terms of developing relationships with investors or your partners or whatever that team looks like for you, that could be in all facets. Having a lot of discipline around communication and follow-up is critical to building a successful business. And that's something that I took from the corporate world and have put into this business and feedback from investors of all types of sizes has been, hey, you communicate as well as anybody that we've worked with. So no, as you're trying to get the edge on you know working with new investors and how you do that and potentially competing with somebody else who's doing the same job for investment dollars, one thing that everybody can do from day one, regardless of your experience, is create a system to effectively communicate in a timely manner. And if you show up to do that consistently, the level of trust that you'll be able to develop with partners in a real estate deal or investor partners will be much faster than if you communicate poorly, don't respond at all, things like that. So I can't stress enough just how important it is to have a very good strategy to communicate effectively with potential investors, current investors, real estate partners, anybody in your network and team that is helping you build a real estate business. Great. Ryan, unfortunately, we are out of time, but I hope the best of our listeners have enjoyed the show today. I hope you've learned a lot about Ryan and I talking about some challenges we've faced, just the hesitancy that we've had starting a thought leadership platform and wish we had both started sooner. But as Ryan said, held our nose and jumped in and it's been great. And I would encourage you to do the same of some type of thought leadership platform. You're going to hate your voice anyway, so just get it over with. Hire that VA, hire people to help you build your team build your systems. And Ryan, I really like how you talked about building a system or a way to track your growth and measure your activities and those goals, those weekly things that are going to move you forward and writing those down. And then even the 15 investor calls a month, I like that. So you can track that. You can see that you are moving forward. You know, 10% or so are going to invest with you or become investors and partners on deals and just how you got started and the conversation, how those have changed, but then also educating and how you kept a sales journal. I like that. So you're documenting those objections so you know how to improve. You're going back and looking at that thing about how you can do that better, but then educating investors on the process and business strategy from funding to doing the PPM. And uh, Ryan, thank you so much. And, and it's an honor to be here on the show today. 
Yeah. Hey, thank you. You've been an excellent stand-in host. I appreciate you leading the conversation and sharing about your experience moving forward. I think that I really admire anybody who's started thought leadership stuff. I know it's tough to do. The ironic thing is how tough it is to get started, but how much fun it is once you do get started. It's something that I really look forward to. I would tell everybody that it doesn't have to be a podcast. Starting a meetup on a monthly basis or some sort of event that happens in your city to help you build relationships and have a platform, blog, all types of things can be considered thought leadership platforms, which is very much an action of doing and not thinking. So commit to a time you want to publish a blog post every week or have an event each month or a quarter, whatever that looks like and whatever you feel empowered to do, you should definitely take the bull by the horns and go do it. And I would encourage you to have as much fun as you possibly can in the process. Because at the end of the day, the more fun you have, the more energy that you put into it, the more the others are going to gravitate towards that event, the podcast, what have you. So thank you, Whitney, for being such a great host. I enjoyed being on the show. And thank you, best ever listeners. Appreciate the time. Look forward to speak with you guys what's your, soon. What's your website? How can people get in touch with you, Ryan? Oh, yeah, sure. You can find me at foundersgrovecapital.com or therealestateinnovators.com. So Founders Grove is real estate firm. The Real Estate Innovators is my podcast. Feel free to hit me up on LinkedIn. Send me an email. Love to chat. Awesome. Again, I'm Whitney Sewell. You can reach me at LifeBridge Capital or Whitney at LifeBridgeCapital.com is my email. Happy to talk to you or schedule a call with anyone. Ryan, thanks again. Best ever listeners. I hope you have a best ever day. Joe, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Wouldn't it be nice to buy a piece of institutional quality income producing commercial real estate buildings for as little as $500? Now you can with Building Bits. Building Bits is a new platform where virtually anyone, regardless of income, can select a building leased to a major corporation with a guaranteed long-term lease. The $500 minimum with no upfront fees is available only for a limited time. There are great properties available nationwide with major tenants, so don't wait. Go to buybits.us today and pick your property before they're all sold out of the current inventory. That's buybits.us. That's buy, B-U-Y, bits, B-I-T-S, dot U-S. The SEC offering circular is available at buildingbits.com. Are you interested in getting started in real estate syndication but don't know how? My friend Whitney Sewell is the host of the Daily Real Estate Syndication Show podcast. He interviews top experts in the industry to help you learn the cutting edge tools and strategies of the syndication business. You can find Whitney and his podcast at lifebridgecapital.com.